we're back. This is Joe and TJ from the Schoolhouse 302, and you're listening to our Focus Ed podcast. Focus Ed is your educational leadership podcast. In every episode, it's our mission to focus on one aspect of teaching and leading in school so that you can make progress in your district, school, or classroom with even more knowledge, better understanding, and a clear direction on what to do next for your students and staff. In each show, we ask an expert guest to join us and we dissect their work and tons of other information about leading better and growing faster in schools. We're only doing 14 episodes per school year and we hope you'll listen to all 14. The guest list is incredible. Don't miss a single show and do us a favor. Please like, share and follow Focus Ed on SoundCloud, iTunes and our website, theschoolhouse302.com. And now for another episode of Focus Ed. Here we are with our guest, Jimmy Casas. Thank you for joining us today on Focus ED. Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. All right, Jimmy, we're going to jump right in. You've written several books, four in total, and among others, um, Culturize, Every Student, Every Day, Whatever It Takes, which is what we want to talk about this afternoon on Focus ED. Please tell us why you wrote the book, what it's about, what it means to culturize a school, and what you want educators to take from it. Yeah, I think uh, I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version here, just by simply starting off by saying this. First of all, I personally did not have a good school experience. So I think if you read the book, you'll see some of that in there intertwined in the whole aspect of how we connect with kids in schools today, what kids bring to school, how they feel when they're at school, how they feel when they're in the classroom and so forth. The second reason is I tell people often is this, is that, you know, when I became an administrator, TJ, I became an administrator when I was 26 years old. I got my first building principal job when I was 26. And even though I had the passion, the drive, the work ethic, the commitment and belief that I had the skills. The reality was I wasn't prepared for that role. And I think that's what I see today when people go into whether it's the classroom as a teacher or the principalship or the superintendency. I think most people do the very best they can because they want to make a difference. They want to make an impact. They want to serve the greater good, right? Well, we go into the profession, we do the best we can, but the reality is sometimes we're not prepared for that role necessarily, but we do the very best we can. And so part of that means Oftentimes, especially in leadership roles, we kind of think we're supposed to do it all by ourselves because we're the leader, because we're the building principal, because I should know that. And so it kind of fools us a little bit. And we begin to take more and more and more on. And the reality is, I tell people this all the time, I wish I could have my first 12 years back as a principal. I really do. Because I would do things so differently as opposed to I did how I did my last 10 years. So over the continuum of 22 years, there were so many things that I learned that I wish I would have known when I walked into the profession. Unfortunately, in today's day and age, I don't think we get a lot of passes. I think there's a lot of scrutiny in the work that we do each and every day. I think people quickly judge our effectiveness as leaders. And I think when that begins to happen, I think that impacts us in our confidence in being able to lead organizations. And so part of the reason I wrote Culturize is because one of the things I learned in those first 12 years, TJ, where I failed was I was looking at the culture of the schools that I worked in through my eyes and my eyes only. 
And what I should have been doing, what I eventually figured out with the help of the mentors who supported me and helped me understand that, was I was failing to see the culture through the eyes of the students, through the eyes of the staff, through the eyes of parents, through the eyes of the community. And in order to create a more, what I would say, a healthier culture, I needed to see it from their lens, from their perspective, from their eyes, hence therefore culturized, right? It's actually a play on words. The I-Z-E is really E-Y-E-S. And it means to culturize your schools, to culturize your classrooms, not through your eyes, but through the eyes of the people that you serve. So for a classroom teacher, for example, they would want to get a better understanding of the culture of their classroom to the student's eyes. For the building principal, I want to see it through the student's eyes and the staff's eyes. And so therefore, I just need to be more intentional. And that was more intentional in relationships. The time I was willing to invest, the personal time in each individual to truly understand it from their perspective, through their lens, to help me get more information, to help me make better decisions in leading the school. And that's what I learned. So one of those questions I often use with students and staff was, if you became the principal today, what's the first change you would make and why? That question alone allowed me to begin to understand what people were seeing that I wasn't doing effectively or felt that they needed to make changes. And TJ, I call these undercurrents. They're undercurrents in our organization. We see the culture here at the surface. We see it through their, our eyes. But when we're intentional and asking for others to share it how they see it, we are able to then see the undercurrents, which is kind of like the subculture that's below the surface. And therefore that helps us become more effective leaders and more effective teachers in the classroom. Jimmy, I love that question. What would be the first change you would make and why? I think it sets up the whole notion of looking through people's, through their lens well. Let's continue to dig into that for a little bit I feel like you're really also talking about empathy, though, this whole notion of walking in other people's shoes, being empathetic to gain their perspective. We're in a room full of practitioners here. What advice would you give them to help them gain that level of perspective and gain that level of empathy? I've discovered that's a skill. Empathy is a skill that we have to develop and work on. Any thoughts around how they could develop that empathy to gain that perspective to culture eyes? Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons we wanna see it through their eyes, right? So let's just take back and think through this a little bit. When students first go to school back in primary grades, right? If you go to an elementary school today, you will see a lot of energy and a lot of excitement about learning from students, right? As they get older, we hear this all the time. What happens to students that they lose their passion for learning over time as they get older and go through the system? So if we take it from that lens, we can begin to think about things like this. Well, imagine how many times a student hears these words. We care about you. We won't let you fail. You can be whatever you want. We will be there for you. We love you. They hear these things as they go through the school system. One of the things I think we fail, though, to clarify that they don't hear are these words, as long as you comply. It's amazing to me how we as adults have forgotten what it feels like to be a student. In Culturize, I talk about the three C's, confidence, capable, and connection. If students still don't feel confident in their learning or their ability to learn, then how will they able, ever feel capable that they're able to do whatever it is we're asking them to do? And I think that's why it's so important that the connection matters, the relationship matters. 
how, de- how in-depth that relationship is. And unless we begin to be more, and I say this all the time, is not to be sympathetic. Our kids don't need us to feel sorry for them, right? We need to be empathetic. In other words, don't feel sorry for them, right? That's not going to help them because what happens in my experience is there's a natural tendency when we feel sorry for students is we begin to lower the level of expectation that we have. In other words, the standard begins to lower because, well, geez, we feel bad for them. Geez, well, they probably can't do this because they're this, 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 and that. My experiences, and if you think about this, it's an equity issue, and here's why. We tend to do that as a perception when it comes to children of color, children in poverty, children with special needs, children that are reluctant learners, children that have less opportunities, So there's all these different things because we know that that happens and that's not being critical. I'm not being judgmental, but the research tells us that if you look into classrooms, if you look at the number of suspensions, if you look at the number of students expelled, if you look at the attendance rates and you look at demographic populations, we know exactly where the issue is. And so we have to begin to understand we don't want to lower the expectation because a child comes from poverty. No, we need to raise the expectations but then we need to be very clear in how we're going to support these individuals, right? The whole idea of fair isn't always equal, right? The bottom line is we need to come together as, a, as, as an organization, as a team. That's what culturized is about, bringing a group of people together and identifying exactly what is the issue and then bringing a group of people together to resolve that issue. I always say this, if educated people who are passionate and love children, if we as the adults cannot figure this out, how are we ever going to expect the kids to figure this out? And the problem is, I think it's so quick, the pacing of the job is so fast that we always say, well, when are we going to find time to do that? It's hard to get everybody together. Well, I understand that. But at the end of the day, that's what happens. And there's where we, I believe, create the issues for ourselves. Great point. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for that. I want to put, I want to bring together a couple of the points that you made uh, specifically to equity. And then also kind of what you described about culture is maybe just it looking like an iceberg in terms of you talked about what you could actually you could see but then what really was beneath the surface of the culture and so there's this this bit that we can see of the iceberg but then the bigger picture is below the surface and then really this idea of culture eyes and seeing through students staff and parents can you can you put that together in terms of strategy you talked a little bit about what's below the surface when you look below that surface how do you see there? And then what do you do once you see it? And, and so, uh, of course, there's those equity issues, but how did you tackle that in terms of seeing it first and then taking action? Well, I think that's part of the issue, TJ. I think we don't see it. And I think this is why it's so important, especially in the work I do today. And I think it's, this is where we begin to look at the work that we do in schools, that we have to start looking at this as we have to flatten the hierarchy so there aren't these different levels. Well, who's responsible for what? Ultimately, we all want the same result. We want students to achieve at high rates. We want them to feel successful. We want adults feeling good about the work they're doing every day. So when you begin to look at this, I immediately fall back to this. I think about processes, frameworks, and systems. What processes do we have in place? What are the frameworks that we're operating from? And what system is it we're trying to create. Again, if we don't have processes in place and frameworks that we're operating from, when you look at organizational frameworks to schools, then we're right back to the same situation I just mentioned. We're going to create an equity issue. 
If we don't create a system, we're going to have some kids that get it, some kids that don't. Some teachers that get it, some teachers that don't. We don't want that to happen. Well, unfortunately, these are some of the things that we don't necessarily learn when we go to principal school, right? They don't teach these things necessarily specifically. Doesn't mean there aren't exceptions, but on average, what I'm finding when I'm working with principals, they don't have processes into place. And when we don't, this becomes an issue. So in other words, let's think about this. Think, of, think about the word delegation. We delegate to people. But when we delegate, we think we're supposed to do that because we empower people. I'm trying to empower people to help me lead. Well, oftentimes we will delegate to people who don't have the skills to do what we're asking them to do. We see this all the time. So a principal delegates, they get frustrated because the person doesn't do it at the level they wanted them to do it. They, by the time they explain it to somebody, heck, I could have already done it myself. So again, we don't think about these things in different ways to help us understand. So committees is another one. I always kind of jokingly say this, but look at how many schools have committees in place today, but let's be honest, there was no class when teachers went to school to teach them how to effectively facilitate a committee. But we put teachers to lead committees all the time, and we do not provide any training to do that. And then we get very frustrated when our committees are not effective, right? The processes are not set in place. And so these are the things that I continue to see over and over. We don't do these with bad intentions. We just are missing it. That's my point. We don't see that subculture. We're missing that because there's no process in place to help teachers. For example, I just spoke to a principal today who hired five elementary teachers this year. Okay, five brand new elementary teachers. It is now December. This principal met with those five teachers in August and hasn't met with them since. And now they're wondering what, what happened to these teachers. In other words, there is no process how to continue to grow and develop those individuals. And we get frustrated because those individuals start falling back. When they hired them, they thought they were really, really good, if not excellent. And here we are four or five months later, and they're getting frustrated with some of their performance. But yet they have no, process, no system in place how to continue to grow and develop these people. Therefore, they're creating this undercurrent, this subculture that they didn't mean to do. They blame the teacher, but they don't blame themselves. They don't even see it. They didn't even recognize, no, you created that because you have no onboarding process to continue that. Their onboarding was back in August one time to review a bunch of stuff, and there's been no follow-up one-on-one into conversations with those individuals. Because remember, it's like Todd Whitaker says, right? When you hire new people, you bring them into the organization so they help you make the organization better. You want them to change the organization. You don't want them to become like the organization. You hired them to bring something in that they would impact the people that are already currently in the organization. So again, those are just some simple examples, but these are the things I'm dealing with every day when it comes to these undercurrents, these subcultures that we're, you know, that we're creating that we don't mean to do that. And I'm gonna give you one more example, and I apologize for going so long here, but I just got off the Zoom session. I just shared that with you with another principal in another state, and we were talking about the issues of behavior referrals and how the culture right now is, the perception is, is that the administration is not doing anything about that. And so the administrators are frustrated because they feel they do something about that. And I said to them, so here's the issue. It sounds like a communication issue then. You're telling me you are doing something, the teachers are saying you're not doing anything, so maybe the issue is somewhere is lost, right? And that's what I hate about electronic referral systems because we depend so much on them that we get away from the face-to-face -face interaction that we could walk back and simply had a conversation with a teacher and explained what we did. So I explained to this principal, I look at it three different ways. Number one, trust, communication, 
and response. So what teachers want to know is what was the response? Did we communicate that effectively? And have we invested enough time in this relationship with this teacher that they trust that we actually did something in holding that student accountable for their inappropriate behavior? And these are examples that we are not thinking about, yet we create all these undercurrents. And so the school is really struggling with a morale issue where teachers believe that the administration is not supporting teachers in disciplining students. Jimmy, very practically speaking, if, if we wanted to start evaluating our school system, um, but specifically we have building administrators with us tonight, because everything that you just said, TJ and I talk about all the time, specifically about what we consider almost abandoning new teachers in the beginning and not creating, creating these systems and so forth. What would be a very practical next step for the people in the audience to take to start evaluating their systems and processes. Because you know too, we can be blind to some of what we've done and think everything's going well. What would you what would you advise the audience? You know, look, this is a great next step to start looking at your systems and processes and what you're doing. Yeah, definitely again, like we said, is begin to see it first of all through their eyes. So whatever it is you want to identify, you won't know it. You'll miss the undercurrent if you don't ask. So again, I mean, here are typically the four questions I would ask staff and students. What do you love about this school? How is this school different than the last school you worked at? What is one change you would make if you became the principal today? And what can I personally do to support you? So when you walk into school every day, you feel valued and appreciated and supported that you actually enjoy working here because we know people who bring their very best will leave feeling their very best, right? And not only will they be better teachers, they'll be better husbands, better wives, better fathers, better mothers. It's living our excellence, not just in the school environment, but in every aspect of our life. And typically people will fall back to average when they're exhausted, when they're fatigued, when they're wore out. And so we have to protect against that. So I would say definitely, definitely begin to see it through their eyes of the staff by coming up with whatever questions they want to help them identify where that subculture, where those undercurrents exist. That would be the first thing I would put in place. Here's the danger. Don't do that, though. If you don't have a process, what are you going to do with the information after you get it? This is why people hate surveys. I always say this, the, one of the biggest culture killers that we do in school systems today, I believe, is the anonymous survey. I think it's a, a plethora of undercurrents that we create from that. And people push back and say, Jimmy, come on. People will not tell you what they really think if they have to put their name on it. And you know what I say to them? Then what does that tell me about my culture? If you're telling me that people will not tell me what they really think for fear of retaliation, retribution, consequences, whatever, then you've already told me that this is a culture of fear, a culture of compliance, and therefore who created that? Why would I want to perpetuate the very thing that I'm fighting against? And that's what I believe anonymous surveys do, which is why I believe the best survey is one-on-one, face-to-face, ask the question. And some people will still hesitate, and that's okay, because they don't trust, because it's disingenuous, because how many times have we as administrators started initiatives, and here we are three, later, three years later, four years later, going, hey, whatever happened to that one thing we were doing? Well, remember when we started that one thing, where we, what, you know, because we create this, this, this two shall pass culture, right? We create that because we don't have a plan in place how we're going to sustain this over time. It doesn't mean we don't go in with it good intentions. We do. 
I tell principals all the time, I give them all a pass. Leadership, school leadership is very, very complex and very, very difficult. However, then we have to start asking for help. I say the four most powerful words in leadership are I need your help. Quit trying to do this all by yourself because you can't sustain it over a long period of time. Leadership was never meant to be a committee of one. We have to grow and develop a community of leaders to help us lead our organizations if we want our organizations to be healthier, more effective, and hopefully sustain that excellence over a long period of time. And those are just things that I learned. Everything I talked about, you understand, I made those mistakes. That's why I do what I do today because I don't want other people to have to make those mistakes. That's why I say I want my first 12 years back because at the end of my 12th year, I, I found myself on the edge of the couch saying, I can't do this anymore. It's something's going to give, right? So, there's going to be a breakdown somewhere. And I don't want our school leaders crashing and burning because they're trying to do everything by themselves. But part of it is they have to understand that they have to then create processes to allow other people to lead with them. But they can't just delegate, right? We have to set the standard, right? We have to show them what excellence looks like. We have to model it first. We can't ask other people to do what we're not willing to do ourselves. And then we have to observe and coach and create a structure that creates that ongoing so people feel confident that they can do what you're asking them to do at the level that you want them to do it at. You talked about how we can be quick to judge effectiveness, effectiveness of our leaders, but you also coupled that with a statement about mentors and the need for mentors to help with effectiveness. And a lot of what you're saying from the teacher to the leader, the principal is about capacity and capacity building. And there's certainly a need for mentors. Our state has a mentor program. But what if you don't have a mentor? I'm sure you've been in a time where you're looking around and thinking, I need support here. What advice do you have to listeners and to, to today's um, live audience about finding a mentor, seeking a mentor, yeah. getting a mentor if you don't have one? Nobody assigned me a mentor. What, what do you do then? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's 2019, right? Going on to 2020. We live in a world today that is more connected than it's ever been. There are so many social media tools that are available to connect with people, to connect with people face-to-face, -to, -face, to reach out. My experience has been people in the educational world are pretty giving. They want to serve. They want to support. They want to help. And sometimes we just have to ask. We have to be a little bit vulnerable and put ourselves out there. There are networks everywhere of people who are supporting one another, whether you're going to conferences, whether you're going to professional development training somewhere. They're available in your own district. They're available in your own building. They're available down the hallway. Sometimes we just have to reach out and quit pretending like we we're supposed to know everything because we're not. And I think that's what, you know, in some unhealthy cultures, there is a culture of fear. I don't want to admit I don't know what I'm doing and we have to get past that. But I think leaders have to model that too. So I think, you know, that's certainly where I begin. And so, but when it comes to mentors, TJ, I think the concern I have about that is we are asking a lot of people to mentor. You don't have to be an official mentor to mentor. You know, if you think about John Wooden, he, he said the most valuable leadership tool we have is our own personal example, right? So even people who come into the profession new have something to offer. That's why I think everyone's a leader. Everybody has that capacity. I'm not saying the skill sets are at the same level, but everybody has that capacity. If people are willing to invest the time and help develop people, I think everybody can be a leader at some capacity in some level. So how do we create that? So if I'm going to reach out to a mentor, I should be able to reach out to anybody, hopefully in my grade level, in my department, in my building. I think we just have to ask, and I think people are willing to support and help that. I think sometimes we just have to take responsibility for our own initiative to do that. And so 
On the flip side, I would say this, TJ, I think one, an area where I made a lot of mistakes early on is I was assigning mentors, quite frankly, who didn't have that skill set. Just because you're an effective teacher doesn't mean you're an effective mentor. And what training are we providing these teachers and, the, and how often are we providing the training? You know, people say, well, we trained them last year. Okay. What, you train them for two or three hours and you think that's it? That's all you got to do? Hell, we went to school for two years to be a principal. And we still struggle to mentor people. So these are skills that we have to be really intentional, a lot of conversation. But that, to me, is the joy of the work. When you can help other people get better, it's awesome. But I think that's why these support groups, who are more eyes, more eyes that are on this, the better for all of us. Because I think we all have something to offer. We can all learn something from one another, which is why we have to open up classrooms, why I believe in peer coaching, why I believe in peer observations. We know that teachers learn best from teachers, but gosh darn it, principals have to model that too. We cannot ask teachers to be doing something we're not willing to do. And this is why I think it's important that principals, they take on a mentor too. If you're going to ask your teachers to take on a mentor or to co-teach or to co-observe or to peer mentor, then we need to model that too. And I, that's one of the things I love about my job now when I go into the school, principals, I'm spending the day with them and they're saying to their teachers, this is my coach, this is my coach. Because I think it sends a strong message that even the building leaders sometimes need support too. We, we don't have this all figured out. And I think we shouldn't be asking teachers to do that if we're not willing to do that ourselves. But that's just my opinion. No, it's an opinion I think many people agree with. And that's shifted. You know that very well, Jim. When we ask teachers to do things, the great leader today does know how to do it, or they at least know what they expect. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about you. As a leader in education, what does the next three to five years look like for Jimmy Casas for you to make the greatest impact you can in education? Yeah, I'm blessed right now, right? I've been out of the, you know, the principalship for three years now, and it's really hard. I mean, I'll be really honest. I mean, I think a lot of people look forward to that day, but the reality is when you, that day no longer exists, it's, you're trying to figure out what the hell am I going to do now with my life, right? But, um, I mean, I always knew at some point I had a passion for this. You know, I tell people all the time, I took a leadership coach on when I was in my 16th year as a principal, and it was life-changing for me, right? And this is why I knew I wanted to do this someday, because I know how much it helped me, and I've been a principal for 16 years. And, and so that's why I feel so strongly about supporting and mentoring our principals, because I do think it's an extremely, extremely difficult job, but it's also very rewarding. It really is. And it scares me to think, I tell principals all the time, if you're exhausted walking into school every day and you feel like you don't want to be there anymore, why would anyone want this job? So we've got to make sure that when we walk into work every day, we're walking in like we're ready to go, we're excited and enthusiastic, and we believe we can actually make a difference and make an impact. Because if we don't believe that, then I'm not sure what the hell we're doing here. Well, it's the same thing when I went into this role. I had a dream that I wanted to start making a difference with principals. I felt like I had been in a building. I feel very proud of the work that I accomplished along with the support of obviously my administrative team and the staff that I was blessed to work with in three different districts. But at the same time, I wanted to make a greater impact. And I knew the greatest impact I could make was to help building leaders not make the same mistakes I made, to be able to help them avoid the undercurrents and be able to help them so they don't mismanage this because we know that with those mismanagements comes oftentimes a loss of credibility. And I'm finding it harder and harder for people to go into the role. There's a lot of negative perception about how difficult it is to be a leader. I cannot tell you how many times people say, oh, my God, I would never want your job. And I try to convince people, no, you want my job. It's the greatest job. School leadership is awesome. Yes, we deal with some nonsense, but what job doesn't? But it scares me to think where our profession is going. So for me, I want to continue to build my company, to build my team, to continue to support principals in the work that they do each and every day. 
coaching principles is my passion. I love to speak. I love to do workshops. But my real passion works one-on-one -on -one with principals because I see the greatest benefit in that regard. And I've done eight Zoom sessions today with building principals all over the country who I coach currently. And I know it's making a difference because they remind me every day that we are making a difference. And that makes me feel really good. So I hope to continue that work. I just finished another book. So I think I'm pretty much done writing for a while. So that's, that's out of the system here for a while. But that will come out here probably right around the beginning of April. I feel really good about that work. It's about the undercurrent. And it's helping people live their excellence in different ways and helping them manage their situations a little bit better so they become more effective leaders, but also not to be so hard on themselves. So it's a book for all educators, teachers, and principals alike. But other than that, I'm going to continue traveling. I love to travel. It's a passion of mine. And I love to work. I'm a workaholic. I, I have no problem admitting it. I, I, I get energized by the more work I do, the more I energized I become. So I don't see myself slowing down anytime soon. I'm still a very, very young 52. I mean, look how handsome I look. Can you believe that? I mean, I don't have any hair left, but the rest of me feels good. No, I, you know, in all honesty, I just, I want to continue to spend more time with my kids and my family. And I just feel very blessed to be able to do this. So, you know, I'll take it as long as it runs. And as long as people value what I have to say, I'll keep trying to do the very best I can. But I'm sure at some point people will get tired of me too. And I don't blame them. So. Well, we don't foresee that happening anytime soon, Jimmy. Your message is spreading on why we know you're going to be in Thailand at some time soon. And so we can't wait to see the new book. You coach principals. So there's resources that you provide when you coach principals. It's not just you on, on the Zoom call. You're very humble about your experiences and your award-winning principal. Can you say something about the resources that you recommend to others and, um, and especially if you have someone who you look to who's outside of education, you mentioned John Wooden, so you're following some, some coaches. But if, you, if you're on a Zoom call and you're talking to somebody, is there a resource that you go to or an outside of education uh, person that you recommend? Absolutely. I mean, I think there are a lot. It depends what exactly you're looking for. But if you're looking specifically at coaching, somebody that I highly respect and regard as someone who I believe is sincere and is genuine and uh, has a tremendous skill set, I would say Peter DeWitt is someone I often take a look at his work. Even when I was still a principal, I was reading his stuff all the time. I think he's pretty amazing. I've had a chance to, you know, speak to him, meet him, present with him. And it's always an honor. And that guy certainly knows what he's talking about, what he's doing. But, you know, there's certainly other educators who influenced my thinking when I was going through the system, the Todd Whitakers of the world the Rick DeFores of the world, the Bill Daggett's of the world, uh, and now today educators like George Kuros. I mean, they inspire me, the people that I get to work with on a daily basis. I think that's what I love about coaching the best. And here's what I would recommend for any principal that's currently in the role of a principalship. If you have the chance to observe other principals and have conversations with them, it's amazing how much you learn because you forget so much too. It's like you just miss it. And when you, like the principles that work for me, my associates, when we go out to coach, one of the things that makes me feel really good, TJ, is that when these principles go back to their buildings, they remind me how much they love coaching because it makes them better principals. And so it's a double benefit. We're helping people in buildings, but yet when they go back out, I feel really good that those principles are getting better at being principals because you know what they're asking themselves? Oh my God, am I doing that? Oh my goodness, I wonder what people are saying about me. And it raises the level of expectation about the work that they're doing every day in their schools. And that makes me feel really good. So I feel like I'm making a double impact right now. 
Thank you, Jimmy. Our final question. You see a lot, you've discussed today just uh, how many Zoom calls you did, how many people you speak with that are, are in the trenches and doing the good work. Is there a book, and you mentioned your, your book coming out in April, is there a book you wish someone would write on a particular topic? Oh, my goodness. That's a great question. I'm not uh, really prepared to answer that, I don't think. You know, here's the thing. I will say this, and maybe I'm reading this wrong, but I'll be really honest. You know, I sometimes wonder, how the hell did Jimmy Costas ever write a book, right? It's almost <laughs> like anybody can write a book today, right? And I don't mean that in a mean way. I put myself in that category, right? In which where I gave George Kuros a lot of credit when he told me, you know, years back, Jimmy, just write like you speak, right? Because I'm, I don't perceive myself as a writer, right? I still don't. And so when I think about that, I think there's a lot of really good books out there, but I'll be really honest. I think there's just a lot of books being written, just the right book, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be critical of that because it depends why you're writing the book. I mean, when people call me right now and say, I want to write a book, I always ask them, why do you want to write a book? If you want to write a, write a, write a book to make money, then don't write the book. <laughs> write the book for you, right? That's write for the sure. book because <laughs> you want the goal to write what you want to write. Maybe you think your message can help somebody, then write the book for that reason. But if you're make writing because you want to make money, this isn't the profession to do that, right? You got better ways to spend your time. So people don't understand that. So the point I guess I'm trying to make is that I think there's, I think just about every topic's been covered, but I will say this, I think leadership and culture never changes. I still think it's the same issues we've been talking about for 50 years. And I think that at some point we have to understand that, that at the end of the day, we're all responsible for our own morale. We're all responsible for the passion that we bring to the work that we do each and every day. And that we've got to believe when we walk into school every day that we can actually inspire others to be more and do more than they ever thought possible. Because if we don't believe that, that it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. And I think people can be pretty critical of people that are positive and are trying to do good, good work like the two of you. And I say, keep doing what you're doing because it's making a difference. Uh, you're very well respected, the two of you. And I think the more that educators can understand that really, if we just continue to support one another, our profession would be so much better. But it hurts me to see our own educators kind of doing it to ourselves. You know, people who strive and put themselves out there. We have somebody who wants to knock them down and try to find fault for what they didn't talk about, what they didn't do, and this and that. Look, people do the best they can. And, um, and people want to, you know, criticize me. I, I, it's not going to keep me from trying to live my excellence. I'm not perfect like anybody else. But I'm going to strive to continue to make an impact because I know the impact I'm making, just like I know you guys know the impact you're making. And I'm going to encourage the two of you to keep doing what you're doing because we need more of this in our profession. So thank you both. God bless you both for what you're doing, for taking the time to speak with me today because I know you're extremely busy too. And thank the people that came there on their own time to sit back and listen to this nonsense. I appreciate you all. <laughs> thank you so much. Jimmy, we're going to end there. This has been nothing but a phenomenal interview. Maybe there is a book that has the subtitle, You're Responsible for Your Own Morale. It sounds like something that we all need to hear on a regular basis when we're looking to others for that boost it needs to come from within. Is there anything else that you would like to add? No, I just want to thank you all again. And uh, I just appreciate again the, the work that our educators do. I know we're approaching the holiday season, so I would just encourage our educators out there to continue just to bring your very best every day, whatever that very best is. And then we're not here to judge it, but we can't, we have to remember that we shouldn't be asking children to do what we're not willing to do ourselves. 
and school leaders and district leaders should not be asking their teams and their staff to do what we're not willing to do ourselves. And I think what we model is what we get. So I just encourage people to continue to model the behaviors they want to see repeated. And I think we do that. I think we'll all be in a better place. So. Well, thank you, Jimmy. You heard it here on Focus ED. Jimmy Casas, everyone. How about a warm round, round of applause from the studio audience? Appreciate it. Thank you so much. And that's what I learned. It's now I'm getting really, all fired up. Now I'm getting all jacked up. That? We're, we're trying to get you jacked up. We're all wrong here on this side, just asking questions to see how jacked up we can get you, Jimmy. I've seen, I've seen how uh, you get animated um, about the work, and we appreciate your passion. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey, Joe, you know what leaders need these days? What's that, TJ? Sleep. A good night's rest, self-care. We've heard it over and over and over again from our guests on the podcast that you can't pour from an empty cup. Leaders need sleep. One of the number one ways you can replenish yourself and lead better is a good night's sleep. I hear you, but you know what? I'm so tired. I don't even like thinking about, you know, getting a good night's sleep. But, you know, do tell. How do we go about getting better sleep? Well, I think that's part of your problem is you need a better bed. It always starts with the bed. That's why we recommend GhostBed, our sponsor, with 30,000-plus five-star reviews. Their patented sleep and cooling technology gets you to sleep faster and longer than any other bed. That's right. And their handcrafted mattresses come with a 101-night at-home sleep trial and a two times the industry standard warranty. They're absolutely certain that their beds will work for you. And with free shipping within 24 hours of your purchase, it's fantastic uh, support from the company. And guess what? Just for being a listener at the Schoolhouse 302, you get 30% off with the use of our code SH302 at checkout. You go to ghostbed.com. You get some sleep so that you can lead better and grow faster. You use SH302 at checkout. Absolutely. And last thing, even if you don't need a bed, you're thinking, wow, I would love to try out Ghostbed, but I just bought a bed. Refer someone else for a bed at ghostbed.com. You'll get a hundred bucks for helping someone else get a good night's rest. Wow, that's 30% off with SH302 code 
at ghostbed.com. A hundred bucks for your referral. If you get somebody else a good night's sleep, better sleep for you, better leadership, ghostbed.com. You can't beat it. Ghostbed.com.